You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got the kiln fired up. We've got the furnace prepped. We're about to unsheath the laser fire of Torah. Yes, Rizcha the Raisa is coming your way. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic, and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. If it's the second day of year, this is the seventh incredible season, we hope, of Rizcha I'm here with Rabbi Yisif Gavriel Bechofer. We're not in our usual Arab Shabbos or Moitzoy Shabbos. We're in the morning here. Koydim Tila Shachris. Rabbi Yisif, let's hit the ground running. Mafapristone is in everybody's lips the abortion pill. Can it be taken out of the stores? Can it stop being distributed? Uh, The Supreme Court says, wait, wait, you know, you cannot ban it yet. We're not going to be talking about abortion, though. However, Many of the pro-life objections to abortion is we have out for you an exit. The whole question about the Mufferstone was after a certain time, after a certain time in the pregnancy, they wanted to ban it in certain states. Your baby is already three months old inside of you. We have wonderful people waiting to take this child if you do not want it. There are so many childless couples still out there, still struggling with infertility in so many ways, especially as they reach a certain age and they have not been uh, necessarily involved in matters of procreation when they're young. But now they're reaching an age where they're afraid there's genetic issues. Adoption, adoption, adoption. This is something that the pro-life movement has said has been abandoned. People don't think about it too much. So. I was actually thinking a lot about adoption lately. The truth is, Rabbi if you'll be amused to hear that when I was about nine years old, I trekked down to the main library in Memphis, Tennessee, and I went into the microfiche area, the place that you could look at these. Do you remember that, Rabbi Yosef, when you Yeah, yeah, sure, Mike. Right? You had to to find stuff. Like, you couldn't just – nothing mm-hmm. was digitalized. There was no such thing. I don't know what that word meant then. And they would take you to this room and you would find these little microfiles, uh, you know, and you would have to turn, put it into a machine. And you could see as the machine made it clear, uh, the old files of births in Shelby County, Tennessee, which is what I wanted to look up. I sort of had this idea that my birthday and the celebration and me being part of the family, I, I wondered 
was I really the person they said I was? I didn't look like my brother as much as I wanted to, uh, and especially the way he would beat me up mercilessly. And I went by myself down. I, I don't remember. I think I took the bus by myself and I went down there and I discovered it. There it was. The day my parents said I wasn't, maybe that, maybe that was another baby, but yeah, okay. I, I guess I agree. I came back home. I said, mom, all right, I accept I'm not adopted. She was, <laughs> she told all her friends, you see what Abrahamel did? He thought he was adopted. He went, so I guess I've sort of been fascinated by this, this idea. And I think uh, most of us have thought about it, whether we've read, um, you know. I think when we were very young, how old were you at the time? Again, nine? Nine, yes, yes. And um, yeah, well, anyway, my Sounds point is, I, it must have been percolating in my head when I first heard about the idea about children being raised. At the time that we were younger, the there was a cloud of secrecy around adoption that that still persists of not being able to necessarily discover who your birth parents were. Um, many of these documents were sealed. Um, you you needed the permission of many, many people in order to discover it. Uh, and this this is still standard procedure, I think, in a number of states. And a couple of the people highlighted in this New Yorker article from about three weeks ago uh, are pushing for those strictures to be completely removed. Because if a person is not able to find his birth parents and discover where they really are from and who the family they might have, uh, they're missing a part of themselves and it will cause severe emotional damage down the line. The idea, I guess, and this is where we can get started, is, and we'll talk about it in terms of halakha as well, is that the pristine Norman Rockwell beautiful picture of taking a child who was unwanted or couldn't be raised and brought into a wonderfully giving, loving, and maybe wealthy family is a win-win situation for everyone. And therefore, let's not mess with what we're trying to do. Actually, Halacha has very little to say about adoption. Now, but what I mean by that, according to many, many reams and reams of Shubas about adoption, which have been written. But uh, the idea is that Adoption is not uh, the choice whether to adopt or whether to put up a child for adoption is not a choice which is halachic in nature. And it's, there is, halacha has to address the, uh, the outcomes of that choice. But it's not a halachic question. It's a, a more of a, a perhaps a Muslim question, if we could put it that way. Uh, it's similar in my mind to the, how halacha is going to eventually have to address cloning. Because clo- whether the clone or not the clone is again not a halachic decision. Halacha addresses the, will have to address and address, um, you know, ream with reams and reams of chuvas in a similar manner, the resulting situation if and when it comes to pass. So we have to distinguish between, uh, halachic values, which are, would be post facto, and perhaps muster values, which are before the, the adoption. Okay. So let, let me just clarify for our listeners. Post World War II, especially, as the orphans of the Holocaust and many, many other people here in the United States also struggling with the sense that they must have a family. So we have on one hand, Yusoyim Mamish, who didn't have parents, who needed to be raised. 
and they were raised by Klal Yisrael Rachmanim Bnei Rachmanim. And when we should quote the Chazal, right? Right, right. And which is really quoted actually in Halacha and the Ramah, uh, a piece in Choshen Mishpat that's based on the Chuvas Maram Rutenberg, uh, dealing with. A case that not after necessarily where there were Yisraelim everywhere. This was a question of Hilchestores. The Hilchestores is it a problem of Ziyaf Ashtar? That's sort of a very technical issue where you had actually wasn't it really was a Yosem because it was a second marriage for the woman and she brought into the marriage a son from uh, from her first husband. And now the question was in terms of writing stories about Matonas and other things, uh, would there be an issue of uh, calling the child Ben? the Ben calling the father Av, and that is really the halachic spot where it surfaces in Shulchan Aruch. But this was turned to when the question was about raising these Holocaust children uh, of the yachas that would happen to them and and in terms of giving stuff over to them. So that was one thing where it, it occurred. On the other side of the pond here in the United States, we know that the 1950s, especially careening into the beginning of the 1960s, there was a pressure to have children. This is the reason why we have the chubas of artificial insemination and other things. There was a imperative uh, that was very strong, stronger than it had been, that we must have a family. And, and, and therefore, ch- childless couples were turning to adoption, not just to save Yusoyimim, but to actually have have face for themselves. Uh, and that is still the case in many ways. They wanted to have children. The, the idea of fecundity, of, of a family that was large. So people, it's, it came into Judaism as well. Let's adopt. Let's adopt children. So Fecundity is not the right term, but okay. Right, fecundity means that there were women who were able to have children. Have yeah, babies. okay. So these people, is not the same having children. Fecundity, I believe, the result means to be fertile. Right. And therefore, the inf- the infertility, the pain of infertility was magnified by the fact that hey, we don't have a family like others do. So adoption was held out as possibilities. So adoption was a necessity for the European kids. And for the American young couples, adoption was considered a way to at least have uh, a sense of normalcy in their family. And therefore, adoption started to increase, including, of course, in Eretz Yisrael. So, and this is why, as the Knesset felt that they needed to uh, have an adoption law, which was finally adopted in 1960, Rabbonim were consulted, famously uh, the Tzitzeliezer and others, and they really did a lot of this protean uh, research onto adoption issues, questions of Yichud, uh, questions of Yerusha, as I mentioned before, uh, questions of Kibud and other things. And this is where we sort of starts flowering what you called reams of, of chuvas. So that is the practical. The, what you're saying is the Musr part is the emotional issue, is, and which I think was happening here in America as well, was, you know, a, a woman has maternal instincts. Um, she wants to have a child. Uh, and And as you're saying, the desire to have that child, the desire to 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 feel fulfilled, is an emotional and psychological, and it could have physiological uh, ramifications if it's not met. The problem of couples who are going through infertility, it's not just becoming a social pariah. It could actually, in a way, affect the whole mental and physical well-being of the people involved. 
Well, Bluesman and Carver both couldn't have children after the war, and they married women with who had children, which they made to be their uh, their own. Right. That's so, a form of adoption. A hundred percent. And this is where some of the issues came up about, you know, and people will say, well, Yichud, yes. I mean, uh, how could there even be a Shiloh? This is a child that you've known. I just think there were sons, so I don't think make the right. Okay, but still, um, one of the, I have to say when we talk about the Tzitzeliezer and the and, and and I want to also mention in this regard uh, Mark Angel's favorite Rechaim David Alevi, both came out with kulas that um, were not necessarily accepted, which was based on the psychological reality that a child that only knows this person as their mother and father. The all xerus of yichud and 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 the issues of of leisikravu even midaraisa would not apply because psychologically they they see this person as their sister in the same way we say that the as Rav Moshe points out in his chuvas uh, the same way the the rabbi Shalom was machlish the koyach leitzahara as the gemara says in Sanhedrin against incest towards sisters, uh, the same thing would apply to two people who have been raised as brother and sister, even though one is an adopted and not a biological child. As as long as the children do not know that they are adopted. Yeah, well, uh, yeah but it's not doing incest. Well, no, but Ramesha says that that the reason why the, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that uh, the Dernashem was machlish, the Koyach of the Yitzhahara towards Arias, and it's still very weak. So that's why a person is muto to lisyached im In other words, he's definitely, he can dar, like the Gemara says, with his uh, daughter, and a, a mother can live actually with her son, and, there's not, and we don't have a, an issue of Yehud. And if a person could actually be miyached with his sister, Leprokim, and there wouldn't be a problem. Similarly, you, he's able to do, to be chayvik and to be noishik, his, his, his children, his daughter and his son, a mother to a son, a father to a daughter, because the Yetzirah is not there. So based on the fact, the idea that we know the Yetzirah isn't there, we know in the dynamic of when a child is accepted as part of the family, there's also not that Yetzirah. So this is this was the, but however, once the child is aware that this is not their biological uh, sister, so then there would be a problem. So the heter was limited. Uh, my point being that this is already the beginning of viewing an adopted child based on their attitude, their mentality, and even though in terms of Yarshning and Chayshin Mishpat, uh, the, they obviously do not have the Swiss of a son, but in terms of the psychological underpinnings of why Lysikravu and other Isurim apply, they, those would not apply. So this is, this is what was put forth as a possibility here. Um, but, but I, I, I think that what's happening today, and this is where I started, is that Adoptees want to know. Adoptees are 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 in fact told much more often and at a much younger age uh, who they are. And what we have developing, as as we know, is a connection and a search for those other families. Uh, and I, I think that it's going to increase. I, I think the, the the secrecy that was common and when we were young has started to strip away. And the there's going to be legislation that it seems like 
has a good chance of passing of of abandoning that whole approach and that we're going to encourage adoptees to i guess if they want to to find out who they really are and well, this that, is very similar to that in the old days you would not tell somebody with a terminal illness that they had that illness i think that uh, we have sources of course in chazal and halacha not to tell them that uh, if we feel that it's negative for their uh well their psychological well-being and nowadays the trend is to uh in the secular world and i think probably in the jewish world as a result is to uh actually be honest about these things yeah, and again, well, the idea of why they didn't do it originally, even Mitzat Alocha, was they were afraid the Bahala of, of right. would actually be Makar of their Misa. Right, so the same thing here, where we'd be afraid of the Bahala of knowing you're adopted, uh, which would be uh, a reason not to tell. But again, I think that the change, just like this Halacha has, I don't know if we can say Halacha changed, but the uh, attitude has changed, so too the attitude has changed here as well. The adoption agencies of, you know, in, in the United States, and perhaps in Europe too, in the first part of the 20th century, you know, in their mysterious, but in a way, understandable way, tried to match families that they felt were similar to the child. And there was uh, a, a sense that the child should perhaps try to fit in and look <laughs> like he might be the, he or she might be the biological child of the parents. What happened uh, in, in, in the 1960s as there was so much emphasis on uh, the third world hunger and starvation and terrible things going on was there, and this was spurred a lot by a number of Christian evangelical movements was we've got to save these babies. (laughs) These these kids are dying. Let's go out and adopt these children. And and, And therefore you start having, as you read in the New Yorker article about specifically Koreans who it would seem uh, you know the the economic situation wasn't what it was today and a number of these Korean children were being adopted all over uh, the United States into white what we call white families a similar phenomenon started occurring out of Africa uh, and just like you know, there was there was a there was a business involved. Obviously, this is a when a couple wants a child, and if they are doing it either for altruistic reasons or because of the 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 whole the fill the vacuum in their soul for having a child, there was going to be money being made. So whether and 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 so it became this business. This, these adoption agencies started a resurgence in the 1960s and 70s, and we started having a a whole flurry of transracial adoptions i i've had children uh that i've taught that have were clearly not the biological child of the parents and they were children of color and they've been part of school either in when i was teaching in high school or i was substituting in elementary school and to me up until i read this article i felt this was a beautiful thing Judaism is truly uh, post-racial, transracial, beyond race. And that is something which which was exemplified uh, by the fact that these kids, um, you know, said the Krishna, davened, learned. And yet there's been a, a, a tremendous pushback against this. Uh, as early as the 1970s, as the New Yorker article makes clear, there were a number of black organizations that were saying that you cannot do this, that if you take a, a black child, bring them into a lily white 
uh, family, you are doing a disservice to them. They, they, there's, they, they can't pass as white. They clearly aren't. And raising them this way will hurt them and they won't, uh, they will be a pariah from both societies. And again, I don't think this has anything to do with aloha or even intrinsic muster. This really has to do with how society develops over time and what societal norms become. I mean, you could be, we can decry the development of societal norms in that way, but uh, they, they are what they are, right? Well, well you, listen, as rabbi of the great Palisades uh, show that, uh, by sarcasm the way. Sarcasm alert there, sarcasm alert, ding, <laughs> ding, ding. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell me, uh, how many congregants do we have now in the, in the Palisades? I don't know. Okay, you don't want to count. Cute. You don't want to put an eye and heart on it. But yeah. anyway, but let's say as your shul grows and as you once again ascend the ladder of rabbinic greatness and people come to you, <laughs> <laughs> they come to you and they say, Rabbi Yosef, we want to adopt. We're having this time, but again, maybe we should adopt this 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 black child. What would Rabbi Yosef Gabriel Belchaber say? It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, everything is situational. They have to explain what the issues are, and then they have to make a decision. I, I really don't know that I, I would give you uniform advice. I think every situation is different, and I think that it also depends where they send the child to school. If they send the child to uh, Ashar, a more open school, probably it's not an issue. If they send the child to a more right-wing school, it definitely will be an issue. And you don't think, in other words, you don't have faith in our school system, that a black child being raised by white religious Depends parents will be accepted. Depends on the school. I would say, I don't want to say as definitive because stereotypical stereotyping, I'd say that the further right the school, the less tolerant it will be. I remember from the Bamboo Cradle, the book about the the, the, the adopted Chinese child, that um, they, they she writes, or they, they write, it was written together to her father of the shop, that uh, they always put the, her at the same desk in Eretz Yisrael, where people sit in uh, the desks of two, together with the uh, child uh, black parentage. In the in the in the in the classroom, assumption being, well, they both look different than us. Let's put them together. So that kind of uh, not forward right. thinking is always a danger. So, but, but, but Rabbi Yosef, don't we run the risk of being stuck in this chasm between identities? And, you know, we've had this discussion before. I mean, we talked about it. Uh, Are you it, trying it, to make this like an issue of wokeness here? Is that the issue? Or was we supposed to disparage the wokeness involved in something? Um, I, you know, it's, I'm surprised to find out that even in the seventies, there was this, well, not really, because this was still not long after Malcolm X and others, there was this idea, no, you cannot come into a white, society white society is anti-black and if you raise a child this way you're just confusing them and 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 one of the children that were profiled in this new yorker article although she was adopted by a, a wonderful white woman who was known as mother teresa who adopted so many children and gave her so much uh advantages to be able to uh do great in school to be able to 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 get a profession she went into the adoption profession and she tried to uh, to basically, by the end of her tenure there, to limit and stop adoptions and to advise against adoptions if it was a, a, a child from a different race. And she actually became an advocate. If, if you want to help those children, maybe let's go back and find why the mother is giving up the child and help the mother. And, but they should stay with their natural parents, despite the fact that there might be drug use, despite the fact that there is a, a, a missing uh, father. So, yes, I, I, I think 
if it's turning this way, I, 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 I'm really bothered by it. You know, let, let, let me put it in. in Why? You, because I feel that the feels, idea feels an imperative. Okay, work. so let me say it better. I, I, along with so many others in the military who have said the term colorblind uh, is positive. We know today. Okay, so basically, okay, so I'm glad we've had, we've uh, ripped away, ripped the <laughs> bandaid off the, the wound here. In other words, this boils down to Rabbi Vremel's issue with wokeness and, and how the term colorblindness, which used to be a good thing, is now a bad thing. Got it. Okay. Right. So and what I'm saying is, without any regard to whether it's positive or negative psychologically, because we just believe it's an issue of wokeness. Wait, wait, wait. I, 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 I believe that our psychological attitudes are influenced by what we see out there. The same way, little nine-year-olds. Maybe it's the other way around. The, 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 Look, the, why did Avramo Kivilevich think he was adopted? Because he watched television shows about adoption and he had knew he read about adoption. He read, uh, you know, he had read books like um, Great Expectations and other things about kids who didn't have parents and who are their parents. And, you know, is she really my mother or not? And because of that, it it it, it sort of titillated my imagination. Okay, so you're, and, you're assuming that, all, that this idea that uh, parents of different races should not adopt children not from their race, is just a uh, manifestation of today's wokenness. I, I think the more it becomes said and over, over again, a child who is somewhat disappointed, like all kids are disappointed with their parents in some way, are going to turn to that as the easy answer. Well, let, 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 let me okay. clarify. Do you, have any scientific, do you have any scientific answer to this? Have you um, we, we all, any okay. studies of this? All right. I am not the person to, uh, in this conversation, to pull out a number of studies. You know, of course, although you're not a, a sports fan, you've heard the name Colin Kaepernick, right? You know who he is. Of course. Okay. So Colin Kaepernick was a, a very, at one time, of a tremendous rising star in the NFL. Uh, he had gone to a Super Bowl. Uh, he beat my beloved Green Bay Packers so solidly, I guess, one of the greatest uh, running uh, quarterbacks uh, of his time. And he was able to run right through the Green Bay defense and and, and schmetter them. Uh, they lost in the Super Bowl. But the point is, Kaepernick is, is going to be more famous, not from his football exploits, but for the fact that he decided to at first sit during the national anthem and then to kneel and to actually express himself that there's no way he could support this flag and what it represents when so much police brutality and so many black people were being uh, brutalized and killed and their bodies were all over the place. Um, Was Colin Kaepernick adopted? So Colin Kaepernick was adopted. Colin Kaepernick is a a person who was raised, who was born to a biological, uh, biologically was born to a white mother and a black father. Mm-hmm. But the mother had to give him up, and he was raised by the Kaepernicks in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And they were a loving, great couple. He became part of their family, and uh, he was able to get into, through his, uh, not just through his athletic prowess, but also through his grade point average that his parents clearly helped promote. This white couple who were stable, loving, and giving were able to have him shine and he was able to go uh proceed through college always keeping a 4.0 grade point average he, and, and 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 because of that 
it maximized his gifts at the school he went to, and he was able to procure, even though now he's not a quarterback and he's not starting, but millions and millions and millions of dollars of this racially uh, tinged white system that he felt was so oppressive, uh, even to the point that when uh, it was either Nike or Reeboks or one of them wanted to issue a, a type of recognition of Betsy Ross's flag, Kaepernick wrote a manifesto saying, how could you put that flag on, on those sneakers? The flag is a symbol of oppression and slavery. So I'm thinking about this. Kaepernick, whether you're a great quarterback or not, whether you're good or not, your success came through your being embraced and being loved by your white parents, your white adoptive parents. And Kaepernick, you know, he, in fact, they made, he made a movie about his life. I didn't see the movie about his young life, but it was also about the fact that, oh, I'm biracial. Uh, I can't really fit in. I'm really black. And therefore, I can't really be part of this. And my parents really don't understand that. And they don't know it. And this movie is shown over and over again. And people, kids who watch it says, yeah, I can't really be part of that. What's going on here? Kaepernick was a a a beneficiary of of a tremendous system. Yes, whatever the Kaepernicks were about, maybe they wanted to I don't know, maybe he said he made a lot of money but psychologically is miserable. I have no idea. Well you're just assuming that because he was given this all these but many but kids uh, would come from parental advantages uh, nevertheless grow up uh, not liking their parents or being resenting their parents it's uh, or not feeling that they get the best upbringing despite all the money which is bumped into them. I don't think it's anything necessarily intrinsically with race, me or yes or no. I'm not sure why this is a. You know, okay, so again, here you, you are. You're saying it's just societal. Really, he should have been grateful, and this is a, should just sort of shut up about this whole thing and not protest about the black because that's he's right. a very nice that's white. Right. He has no right to do that, right? He has okay, no right to that's do very, that. That's very simplistic. It's oh, not simplistic at all. He's he's a person it is, it who is, benefits. Simplistic. Because you a don't per- know a person, you have no idea what psychological issues there were with him and what, 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 uh, what, you know, what, 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 if you believe in it, but don't go out there and make yourself the poster boy. Okay, but that's nothing to do with adoption. Yes, it does. No, it, it does, does not. Yes, it does, because people will point to Kaepernick. Wait, is that about Carlos Tov to his white adopted parents and therefore not protest the flag in the United States for oppressed blacks? How does it follow? Well, obviously, his 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 parents are not on the same team as he is. Okay, in terms, fine. Right, so many, right. many many kids grow up and not on the same team as their parents. Right, but if we're going to use Kaepernick as a proof that even I don't know why I don't use Kaepernick as a proof. You want to use him as a proof? I want to say that stories like Kaepernick that become uh, popular and that we and they make children's books about it continue to hammer away at the idea that you cannot have a a colorblind society. Uh, maybe, yes, maybe that's what I'm saying. Uh, okay. So he and, captains, and, obviously uh, whatever his psychological issues are, maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, I don't know. But he obviously feels that uh in his case, whatever happened, I don't know what he feels about his adoption. I, I really can't even say you don't know what he feels about his adoption. It wasn't the issue okay, he raised. Look, I have not done a deep dive into Kaepernick. My point is is that Kaepernick is a is is a simon that that we should not place black children, even half black children, which according to the black 
way of looking things are totally black children into a white racist um, type of society. Have, look at some half Jewish children being totally Jewish children as well. Uh, okay, but that's you know, now you're mixing stuff. Yeah, right. Hey, we, I, you know, I, I, I was a strange comment to make. No, my point is, is that okay? I'll explain the comment. Um, in halacha, you know, I don't know why I have to. In halacha, we know that it's matrilinear in the sense of what what your halachic status is. Are you a Jew or not a Jew? In terms of the cultural, not halachic, the cultural society sense of whether you are a person of color or black, it's now clear that even though one of your parents might be white, like Barack Obama, that person is part of the capital B black culture. When we were growing up, that was not the case. Well, uh, it was not the case. I think it always was the case. No, it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I it think wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, you come from in the South, for sure it's the case, because there I think no, no, the one thirty second or one sixty fourth black was considered to be black. I'm saying ta- wrote a book about okay. it. Okay. All right. I'm not uh, I'm not talking about the Jim Crow lynching South. I'm talking about the South of the sixties and seventies that or, was, what do you look like? Uh, if you look the black, you look white. Uh, I'm not sure what the with a person who's half, so to speak, half black, looks black, then he's going to be classified as black. If he looks white, he's going to be classified as black. Plenty, Barack okay. Obama, from most from most people's perspective, looks black. Yeah, well, okay. But we know that the idea, it was, we were, I think, a, getting to a point where it didn't really matter as much. And okay, but part, I mean, of, part, of, part, of, part of what the woke culture has stirred, and Kaepernick is one of the main warriors in this, is that even a child like himself, it really was, uh, in a way, done wrong by being thrust into white society that didn't understand him. And you him. feel that he has no right to have this feeling. Oh, you know what? I don't want to talk about him anymore. What well, I want to say about I mean, you don't what I want to say is... You don't think Barack Obama's right to feel that way either. <laughs> Barack Obama wrote in his biography, he had to make a decision who he was, whether he was black or white. Okay, and no. we know that much of Barack's Obama's... Uh, advantages in terms of the schools he went to and the ways he was uh the ways he was tutored to become articulate was through his white mother the pride he had he knew much more about the the uh, exploits of his bl- white grandfather that he extolled so much at the democratic uh convention when he talked about uh, him wor- being in world war 2 being part of Patton's army uh, obama changed from the 2008 candidate that was going to unify based on his white and black props as as obama came to his second term he uh, he emphasized much more his blackness and you know the, I was very was, shrewd of him amazing very shrewd is exactly the point and and i yeah, think well, why not in, everybody in, should you anybody can utilize any of their aspects. Okay, of so one person's shrewdness becomes insidiousness and evil. Other places, and what I'm and, and what happens is not for Obama, but for others who say, "Of course, I'm. Of course, I cannot be part of this society." Um, let me give you another example. What about a Hungarian masquerades of Lithuak? Have you heard of Antonio Delgado? He's the lieutenant governor of your state. Have you heard of him, Antonio Delgado? Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe. Okay, so if somebody not enough to know anything about him, if if if, if Hochul um, gets involved in some scandal, he's next to okay. be your governor. Antonio Delgado is a product of Harvard University, uh, who married a girl who was who identifies herself as Jewish, is Jewish, Lacey Schwartz. Lacey Schwartz 
uh, was raised as a Jewish girl in, in Long Island. And she was told that the reason why she was so dark skinned was because there was some Italian grandfather who was very dark and she was much darker in, in complexion than many of her classmates. Anyway, eventually she discovered that her, her mother had an affair and she went on a search. Uh, she made a whole film about this called Little White Lie, where she discovered Lacey did. I remember this story. I didn't really have a associated with Anthony Delgado. Yeah. Okay. So Lacey Schwartz discovered who her father was, was a black fellow that her mother had an affair with and it was covered up. Right. And of course, the, their parents had gotten divorced. It was very painful. But she went to discover this. And what she discovered when, although she she uh, she identified as a white Jewish girl going to a conservative uh, Hebrew day school and having a bat mitzvah, eventually what happened was she realized that she's not white, that she's black and she she part of this black culture. And although, you know, she she promotes herself as a uh, as part of Pakola Shon, she was one of the uh, administrators of and, and, and very much a pro-Israel person. She met Antonio and basically she married out of the faith. And she says, I needed to be part of this. I couldn't be part of of the typical white Jewish culture. This was my essence despite the fact that her parents had done, you know, what a conservative Jews would do in terms of giving her, you know, uh, after school lessons, uh, Medina Sisrol, singing Hatikva, she basically, in a way, and again, I don't know what's going on inside of her kishkas, but I can tell you, I, I watched her documentary about her life. What happened was, she says, I am more black in a way. I'll be Jewish in some ways, but I'm more black than I am a Jew. Um, I don't know if she would agree to this statement, but her actions and the fact that she is part of this culture, and it, it really, once again, entrenches the idea that we cannot be colorblind. And this is what I wanted to ask you. Again, I, again, I go back to the theoretical question. Are you on board with this? Because I think the I, more... I, I, absolutely. Whatever she feels, what she feels. What am I supposed to do about it? Okay, so the I, more... I, I love it. I was going to say, I love it. You're a Jew. I mean, I was telling what I was supposed to do. Who am I in this free society? You come and dictate to people uh, what they're, how they're going to deter, how they're going to self-identify. Now, Lacey was is definitely Jewish. You should talk about the you should talk about the woman who was not black who identified as black and became the head of her NAACP chapter. Okay, so you're right. You, you, these are these are people who want to take advantage. Right. That's of, that, right. Uh, that's that is that's very difficult. Right, but 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 the whole thing wouldn't exist if we would push towards. A, a colorblind society. And I think I used to believe that everybody applauded Judaism for being colorblind. We talked yeah, about, of course, how... So I, we know we know from Jewish society, especially in Haredi society, where aspire, being a Sephardi is a considered children's deficit. We know that uh, there is... Uh, the, it's very difficult to, uh, so, to assert that colorblindness is the way to go because people are not colorblind. We so, have a, we have very strong stereotypes, and even within our limited bandwidth of uh, Orthodox Judaism. So how are you supposed to uh, how are you supposed to uh, assert that the whole world should be colorblind if you come from a society where colorblindness is antithetical almost to the societal norms of our society? Well, you know, it's it's strange, Rabbi Yosef, because on one hand, um, you're right the the ugly, terrible put down of of Sfardim and Eretz Yisrael for so many years. Um, and of course, we should parenthetically mention 
when we talk about adoption, make sure many parents talk about many of the Taimani children that were, as we know, I don't know how large the number is, but I know there was a great investigation into it. I mean, our listeners might be able to correct in terms of the exact number, but there was these investigations, of course, about children that were taken away from the, the Yemenites who arrived in Eretz Yisrael, uh, in a terrible state of poverty. And many of these women who were pregnant or had young children, uh, the children were taken to hospitals without their, uh, not sanctioning it with the family. And then the child, they were told the child had died and the child ended up becoming actually adopted and being part of, uh, you know, these Ashkenazi couples here in Eretz Israel. So yes, we, there, there has been, there's guilt to be spread all around, but are we supposed to throw up our hands and say, we can't solve this? Try to adopt a child that is, uh, as white skinned as yourself, as opposed to a Asian, Eurasian or black child. That would probably be the wrong thing to do. And although you say it's not a halachic issue, I, I believe I, mean, hal- I believe halacha would respond if if a situation is is fraught with difficulties. We know that you're right. You could have a, a wonderful family despite that, or you could have a, 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 a terrible situation, even if it's the child jives completely. The child the child looks exactly like his parents. But right. since we are asked as rabbis and as counselors what we should do. Look, Rav Moshe felt that we should try to adopt Jewish kids if possible. That's what Moshe said. Uh, even though most of the adoptions were non-Jews, Rav Moshe said, I know what's happening, but Lamaisa, what do we need to have more gay room for? That's what Rav Moshe said. I, mean, I don't know what he would say today. And he said part of it is because kashim gayrim kishapachas. Now, let's take Rav Moshe and view him as a human. He wasn't saying that uh, he's anti-Goy. He's saying he believes in Chazal. Chazal said these children will be maladjusted. These children will cause difficulty. And therefore, we probably shouldn't do it. In the same way, if there's a gear that we believe will, and this is what these children will be, they will be Geirik, uh, they'll be Geirim, and then they'll have that choice when they reach a majority to become, to decide or not. Let's make the situation in a way where we hope they'll be macabre and they'll be part of Claudius throne. They're not going to go marry, you know, outside of the faith because they're black and they say, well, I don't, there's not enough of an infrastructure of black Jews for me to be happy. I'm going to go find my, my culture elsewhere. So I do believe it's a halachic, uh, Eitzah. I don't, I, 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 it's, I, you know, I, I don't think it's halachic Eitzah. I think Kachim Kukain, we saw Kazapachas has so many, so many different interpretations that I don't even call that a halachic issue. Well, I'm telling you what Ramesh's. Ramesh has, has his own title to his Ashkafa, to his last Torah, but it's not, not a Lacha. Yeah, He's so, advising well, against it. Okay? Based on the way he understands that Gemara. If we have a situation where we know, again, the whole gear cotton we know has got this anomaly. On one hand, you're going to have to be a Jew, but to tell you when you reach a certain age that you have a choice. We don't want the to. Holes, there is no choice. You know that. That. That you can't be Moichan. The only Bisman basically make the Shayakhaim for some reason. Okay. All right. Well, we know that that could happen. And whether, whether, okay, hello, so. Yeah, whether, right. so we, we definitely, some say for Kama Bakama, we don't want to have a, a Yisrael, a, a Jew is being married and doing Averis, right? Yes. But again, this is a, a, a person who wants and says, you know what? I convinced that I can do it the right way. Halacha can't stop him. 
Allah has no way of stopping him because Allah doesn't say we have to stop him. What should, warns you the same way he could warn you about anything else. You know, this is a bad, maybe this is a bad risk to take, but it's not, it's not a logic. Uh, final Allah does not say us, sir. I, I, I'm saying, what would the Baal Halacha? That's what I I'm said. Reminded, I'm reminded of what Rabbi Soloveitchik said to me once about why uh, we are allowed to take money to learn Torah. He said, uh, I, the Ramam says, it's also to do, right? So the Ramam, so, so the Rabbi Soloveitchik said, so, uh, he said that um, even when the Ramam writes Osir, it doesn't necessarily mean it's halachically forbidden. It means it's a Dover Maguna Admoid. And there's a Dover Maguna Admoid under certain circumstances, it can become something which we encourage depending on the situation. So the same thing here. There is, a, a, we can't, this could be even Ruitzer, it would be a Dover Maguna Admoid. So then, just like today, we even though it's Dharma we promote taking money to learn Torah. We can today promote, come to a situation where we promote adoption. Okay, look, I, I, I marvel at uh, you being Makar of Rechaikim the way you are. I'm saying that you're comparing the, the idea of, 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 of of taking money for learning or being in Kailil, et cetera, despite the, and trying to, you know, have the Rambam agree to that, to what I think. Rambam's, I didn't say the Rambam agreed to that, but in any event, it does means that we don't have to follow the Rambam in that. Right, and I understand. Neutralizing, neutralizing. Right, what I'm, and I would say exactly the same question. Yeah, well, as we know, the, the uh, we have, as, as rabbis and as counselors, we are constantly, and as teachers, we are constantly part of the dynamic with parents and families uh, of how things are going to work out. And it's a very sad commentary. I think that these children uh, will not get the advantage of, of, of the type of mentality that the average Jewish family will bring, which will be a, a mentality of strong family bonds Education, stressing education, stressing the significance of of hard work, uh, and 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 you have advisors who will say, you know what, the it's better for them to be part of their natural culture, and therefore it's only at the very last resort that we're going to. This is what these what what, what is being pushed that we're going to advise adoption under these type of circumstances. You know, it's it, again, and and I don't see it changing because, as you said, this is the woke reality, and it seems like it's just going to get stronger and stronger. So I'm, you know, I, I I'm upset that we can't really pursue, and I'm just repeating myself, uh, this you ideal, <laughs> right? I it, it it saddens me because I I will tell you, even as a child of the South, um, that it, to me. And I've talked about my, my my black friends when I was growing up. To me, it, it would be great. It would be great. It would be it would be the way to solve these things um, is to to show that our humanity, our shared humanity, uh, can absorb and uplift. And what a, a great schus it is that a child can live the life of a Jew, that he can be taken from whatever difficult situations cause that child to be given up and be taken and be elevated and be part of Claudius Stroh and happy in Claudius Stroh. It's, it's sad to say that, that, that that is something that is just a dream 
that uh, is, is empty and naive. Okay, my friends, that's about it. A little conversation on on a topic that I guess we just, you know, uh, revealed the tip of of the iceberg on. Um, we'll catch you hopefully next week as we continue our seventh season of Risk of the Rice of Evil. Everybody, take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.